0: Hello and welcome to the Development and Justice podcast from the studios at Multnomah University in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon. My name is Dr. Greg Birch and I have the honor of hosting this unique podcast where we engage in faith-based discussions with thought leaders and practitioners who are wrestling, wrestling with the complexities of ministry and Christian action in the areas of holistic mission, justice, development, and peace building. My role here at Multnomah is directing the graduate program in global development and justice. You can find out more about our program by visiting us at multnoma.edu slash M-A-G-D-J, mag That's what we call it around here. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions I- I- expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent our host institution, Multnomah University. Thank you, Multnomah, for inviting us into the studios today. So okay, I have invited Dr. Reverend Leroy Barber to join us on the show today. Welcome, Leroy, Dr. Barber. It's great to have you on the podcast. Good to be here. Hey, it's so good to, to have these conversations with you. I might add that you are the first guest to get I get to interview. So mm-hmm. thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking the risk and <laughs> and joining me in this conversation. You
1: are welcome.
0: <laughs> let me uh, let me briefly introduce you to Dr. Leroy um, Barber. Um, many of you know. Dr. Barber, some of you have had him as your professor here at Multnomah and certainly in other places, but I have had the honor of working with Dr. Barber over the past seven years as part of our program here at Multnomah, where he has taught a course in community development practice. In fact, he's teaching, finishing up one um, even, even this week. He has also been a frequent speaker on issues of justice and provided key support for a number of students who have interned with him and Donna, his wife, over the years. Dr. Barber began his community development work in Philadelphia in starting a ministry with his wife, Donna, called Restoration Ministries back in 1989, where they focused on working and providing essential care for houseless families and children. Leroy was licensed and ordained at Mount Zion Baptist Church, where he served as a youth director with his wife, Donna, and also served as associate minister of evangelism there. Other critical organizations he's worked with include FCS Urban Ministries in Atlanta. I believe uh, you worked with Bob Lupton Uh there, is that correct? Yeah, sure. Working with the Atlanta Youth Project, where he founded Atlanta Youth Academies. Leroy is currently Director of Innovation for an engaged church, serving with the greater Northwest area of the United Methodist Church. He is also co-founder of the Voices Project, and has served on the boards of The Simple Way, Missio Alliance, the Evangelical Environmental Network, and is the former board chair of the Christian Community Development Association. Leroy currently lives here in Portland, Oregon, has been married to Donna for the past 35 years. Together, they have six children. I might also point out that he has a number of books. um, You might want to Google those and find those for yourself. Um, Whew! (laughs) Okay, I absolutely know you have been and are involved in in so so much more, you know, but I, we would take up the whole podcast if I was to continue on, but I, I, we really want to hear from you, right, Mm -hmm. and that's why I've invited you today, so thanks for being here. It's my pleasure, thanks for having (laughs) me. Hey, I wonder if we could start off with you sharing a little bit about your background and how you got involved in ministry and community development work.
1: Mm -hmm. um, grew up in Philadelphia, and, uh, grew up in a Baptist church there. Also uh, been in church most of my life. So uh, uh, youth, you know, youth choir, youth development, all those kind of things uh, doing at at Mount Zion. Uh, I was ordained and licensed to preach there, also an ordained deacon there. My wife was, you know, director of youth choir there, director of the youth Youth, you know what we call youth council, I guess. Then, okay. So, so we have a, a pretty strong, kind of church background. Mm-hmm. We got married early at twenty, and and then I don't know somewhere. I think a couple years in, actually, our daughter was two years old. Mm-hmm. We we felt a call uh, to to live out what we believe was our faith in our community, in our neighborhood, in our city, which was Philadelphia at the time. All right. And so we. We dove in. We we started a nonprofit on our own and started working with uh, the houseless population in Philadelphia and taking out meals and hanging out on the streets pretty much every night wow. with our 2-year-old daughter in tow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could picture the the scene right there, right?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Man, a couple friends, you know, a couple, you know, a couple other couples who we still know today and Uh, were with us. And and yeah, we just kind of went at it. We didn't know much about what we were doing, but we went at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What lessons have you learned since those early years uh, of of serving with Restoration Ministries? Mm.
1: I I think the big lesson came early on. And the big lesson was that we, as people who thought we were bringing, you know, the gospel per se, and uh, we were going to help these people and save them. And, you know, our number one donation at the time were 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 tracks, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we had hundreds uh, and hundreds of peop- donate- people donating tracks. I get it, yep. And uh, we quickly learned. Uh, being out every day and meeting and seeing the same people, relationships got established. And in establishing those relationships – People living on the streets were not who we thought they were, mm. and uh, and as they became friends, as they became people we saw every day, uh, their life stories became real. Right, it, it was no longer those people over there. Was hey, this is this is James, this is my friend, this is a guy I know, and I see him just about every day, and we sit and we talk over a sandwich. And the dignity of the of, of those people um, who we met with and did life with, literally, uh, on the streets became a high value in our lives. Mm-hmm. And we learned that really early. Um, and now, like, you know, that's that's a basis of community development, right? And that's that base community right, development. Right. But I learned it at 22 um, through relational connections with people on the streets.
0: Man, you know... Um, it took me a little bit longer to learn that lesson (laughs) (laughs) in our own work in, in, in Venezuela and other places. And, and thank God, you know, that you learned that lesson early on. Um, So many folks don't learn that lesson. Mm. And, and, and oftentimes we view ministry as a transaction Mm -hmm. versus that relationship. I think those tracks that you were, Mm -hmm, you were mm -hmm, gifted mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. er, in those early (laughs) days, you know, and, and forgive me for those of you who love those tracks but you know right. <laughs> but uh those tracks oftentimes create these transactions for ministry mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. but fail to take in or acknowledge the importance of the relationship and right. the incarnation of Christ right. demonstrates that relationship right so man um so I, w- I wonder if you can share some, some other ideas or, or lessons that you've learned over the years that have really shaped you into the leader that you are today, or maybe a series of lessons that, that ha- have, have had a significant impact on you.
1: So, so, yes, I mean, I shared a very early lesson around dignity, uh, lessons of, 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 of not knowing, right, things that we, were, we felt we were called into, You know, we learned lessons about children and children on the streets and how shelters worked and how poor, poor folks were treated. Right. Um, Lessons, uh, they just piled up in those early years. And we we took those forward with us, my wife and I. And, um, you know, how you apply dignity and the 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 value of going into a place we moved to. Atlanta, you know, um, and the value of dignity and listening. You, you're moving into someone else's neighborhood at that point when you're new. Mm-hmm. And what does listening look like? What is not, not having a plan for the neighborhood, but figuring out who leaders are and how you, how you connect with those leaders, you being a leader, right? It doesn't take away your leadership to listen. It actually helps you do a better job. And so we just picked those things up, and uh, you know, our early days in Atlanta, my wife is an educator and has been a children's advocate most of her life and 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 she uh she began to really challenge the systems around what what parents had to like what role they should play in a development of a school. We started a school in in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and parents were very much a part of what the curriculum was and uh, what time should after school uh, happen and how we did field trips. My wife um, was, is a huge advocate for parents having their voice in their children's education, no matter what their educational level Mm. um, and, and what their economic level is. We, we learned that early uh, and we, you know, we, we carry that with us uh, for all, all of this time. And again, we started this at a time we didn't know at the, you know, I, I've, I've been board chair of community development association, mm-hmm. Christian community CCDA, but I didn't, I didn't know what CCDA was when we started. We, we, we came into CCDA mm-hmm. and it was, it was interesting. I, I it, you know. It was interesting because this came up later when I was board chair. But the way I entered CCDA is I heard John Perkins calling me into the movement as a leader. What do I bring to this place as a person of color, as someone who grew up in an urban context? What do I bring? And 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 what can I learn to sharpen my leadership? Where actually some of our... Um, Some of our Anglo folks, white folks joined it right from a different vein. They joined it to, you know, uh, help the poor or to relocate or any of these other things. And actually some of those things rubbed up against one another Hmm. um, down the line. It's kind of interesting. But that was that was that was important. I I grew up in a a black Baptist church that I learned Robert Rules of Order when I was 10. I, (laughs) I already knew how to run a meeting. (laughs) <laughs> when i by the time I got to that place right <laughs> so 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 some some interesting things um uh, uh lessons ha- have emerged um uh, from my early years so.
0: man what i what i hear you saying in in some ways and correct me if i'm wrong but um ministry is not it's not necessarily top down right, right? um i mean so oftentimes folks go into context of ministry uh, with all the answers, with with knowing the need somehow mm-hmm. through assumptions mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and we fail to, to do the listening, the mm-hmm. recognizing the resources that are already available in the community, recognizing where we fail to recognize where God is at work in the community, and we just mm-hmm. go in with our assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, th- I think what I hear you saying is that ministry is really kind of a bottoms up or perhaps a, um, it, it begins with, recognizing what God is already doing in the community. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Um, you know, and and now I've written a book about this, right. But you know, then it was a different story, but, but the idea of you're coming in and you know, what's better for people in their own neighborhoods and community. Mm Um, that's, there's just something inherently wrong with that. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, are a lot of our missions and a lot of our services is, is built around that. Yeah. And so, um, but it's faulty. Uh, it's got some real, real problems.
0: Yeah. I, I completely agree. You know, you mentioned John Perkins. One of the first books I read in seminary at, at Fuller was, was John Perkins book beyond charity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It deeply impacted and I had heard, I had already spent a couple of years working with um, young people on the streets of, of Venezuela when I read that book. And I, I just kind of, I uh, said, Lord, Jesus, forgive me, right, mm-hmm, for I have mm-hmm, sinned. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. had committed those sins of, of making assumptions and failing to really allow the youth themselves to speak into my life and, and to listen to them and, and to listen to God and what he was already doing in those mm-hmm, communities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instead, uh, we went in thinking that we knew what they needed and and how wrong we were. Right. In yeah, many uh, cases. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely, right.
0: Hey, uh, so, you know, what about mentors or other people in your life that, that you point to as people who have formed you into the leader you are today?
1: Oh, man. So my wife and I both share a common mentor uh, from our, when we were in Philadelphia, uh, who we went to Bible study every Friday night with, um, who, uh, his name's Greg Johnson, Reverend Greg Johnson. And they were about, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe a dozen of us, a little less who, who locked into this Bible study with this, who then was a trustee. He wasn't even a minister or anything. Now he's a pastor, but he just made the scriptures come alive. And uh, that was my formation, um, uh, given, giving us as young people permission to question the scriptures, to ask questions to go deeper not just go by what he was reading but what do you think all of that mm. I got all of that stuff as as a teenager it was like he he was he wasn't is absolutely amazing uh, so that was probably the first person um Obviously, you know, I, I have a mother that was pr- a prayer, like, absolute prayer person, right? In fact, I had to get up at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, every morning, for prayer and reading of a psalm. So let me, you just let that Love sink in. You just let that sink in. <laughs> I, High I, schooler at 5 a.m., right? Okay.
0: Unfortunately, I can't <laughs> comprehend it, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so,
1: but, but we've had some other... When we, you know, Donna and I, we started this ministry on the streets, and we wound our way towards a school in our neighborhood where uh, we met probably two mentors that, that took the foundation of what we had and just opened, opened the world up for us, mm-hmm. Betty and A. Sam Wright-Riggins. I mean, hands down. They, I'd never been on a plane, mm-hmm. and neither had Donna. And they put us on our first plane to Mexico City to go listen to some, some mission folks down there who they thought, these are the ones y'all want to listen to. And we, me, Donna, and our three little kids on a plane in Mexico City, never been on one before, never, <laughs> never traveled that far before, and they, they exposed us to it. Wow. And they just kept doing that. My first seminary class was literally like this. Betty. Uh, get in a car. We got to go somewhere. She was my boss at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So we get, and we drive, uh, to what is now Palmer was Eastern, mm-hmm. uh, seminary. And she says, okay, sit and sit and listen. And I, and I sat in one of her classes and it ignited, it, it, it ignited to hear, I mean, it was scary in part to hear people breaking down the Bible like that. Like, Whoa, wait, you can, you can do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, but there was something that drew me, and that was my first. That was it. That was my first seminary class. Was she like just getting in a car and going where she told me to go? Wow. Um, so my first church plant was with, with her like two black women planting a church in Southwest Philadelphia. That was our first church plant, right? So just just incredible people all along, all along the path, and and numerous more when we moved to Atlanta. You know, um, you know, Christian community development got introduced to, uh, when the year before we moved to Atlanta. And then when we moved to Atlanta, Bob Lupton was, you know, uh, formational for CCDA and, uh, Bob, Bob was a unique, unique, unique is a unique person, um, who understands institution, who understands community development, who understand church life. Um, and, but somehow, um, doesn't like institution that much, <laughs> but although he knows how to, how to move in it and, gives, and just gave the freedom to, to explore. I d- we did all kinds of things in Atlanta. And uh, uh, part of that was because Bob didn't try to direct it. He just opened up space to create with the organization uh, FCS Urban Ministries. We, 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 uh, Don and I moved to Atlanta. We put our heads down and we spent the next 16 years of our life in community, deep in community, uh, and and did all kinds of incredible things. Right. Wow. So,
0: yeah. Wow. It sounds like uh, you've been blessed with some great mentors in life. And, um, you know, many of our students here at Multnomah, I encourage them to find those mentors because those are the people that really deeply impact us and shape us and mm-hmm. form us. And um, I'm grateful for those mentors you've had in your life that have shaped you because we're blessed to know you and, mm, and to, mm-hmm. to follow your leadership in many, in many spheres. So uh, shout out to those mentors. Yeah, absolutely. You and your wife, uh, Donna, are co-founders of the Voices Project. And, and we've had students serve with you all as interns and been at your conferences. I wonder if you could share a bit more about the Voices Project, why you started it, what's going on these days mm. and yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh, Voices, the Voices Project is it's down in our heart like it at this point in our lives it's it's become the thing for us uh and it started just because we 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 didn't we felt we were 20 years in and we're like are we are we doing this right like we can't we we can't raise enough money like like seemingly like we're hitting all these walls and ceilings around all these. And when we were in, we, we, we were in a white evangelical world then Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, we just had a lot of questions and we gathered a few friends. Um, and we met literally, we met in Orlando one, one week, five or six of us and, uh, voices was formed out of those questions of, how do leaders of, co- at that time, how do black people um, move through some of this stuff? And, and, and Voices was created to answer a lot of those questions. And now it's, it's a growing um, space for leaders of color mm-hmm. to simply bring their leadership capacities, their unassimilated leadership capacities to the table. Um, and we create a table for them to do it, and, and we promote them.
0: Okay. Right, and I and I know I, I recently saw that you're launching the new Voices School for Liberation and Transformation, mm-hmm. and I wonder how th- how does that play into forming leaders of color um, in these in these spheres?
1: Yeah, so somewhere along the line, or, you know, I got my hands on some Cone and some Gutierrez, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> Gutierrez, yes, uh, you know, so James Cone, right? so stumbled onto yeah. those folks and S- Denise Williams, mm-hmm. right, and. I uh, start, start going, oh my gosh, <laughs> what uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Howard Thurman, right? Like, whoa, where were these books in seminary, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. And uh, and that stuff begin to to take the raw material within me and reform it around how I. How I see Scripture and and what the liberating spirit of Jesus looks like, what mm. the liberating practice of Jesus looks like, and 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 how Jesus is is uh, how Jesus manifests within me as a person, a marginalized person of color, mm. and uh, and the, the school um, will focus on that, okay. and uh, uh, invite people to to see Jesus in a in a liberative space, uh, and those leaders we think can transform the world.
0: Right on. Thanks for sharing about that, a little Mm -hmm. bit about the Voices Project as well. And you can find information on the Voices Project at?
1: Voices-project.org, and you can get all the information you need.
0: And you can probably find out more information on the Voices School for Liberation and Transformation there Mm -hmm. as well. Leroy, you've been at this work for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. A couple years? Yeah, (laughs) just a couple. I wonder if you have any tips for students and others wanting to know how to get started in in the in the fields of community development work in justice. What do you suggest for them as they are kind of just beginning? Um, maybe that's graduate students or mm-hmm. maybe that's mm-hmm. undergrad students. But what tips do you have for them?
1: I mean, ment- we mentioned mentorship, mm-hmm. right? And I think I think that's a critical critical thing, right? I wish at 20 years old, I had someone to speak into me like this, right? Um, Someone that I can, I could go after, right? And I would say that's, that's my advice to younger people. The person you want to mentor you, go like, write them, call them, email them, text them, right? And, and, and don't, don't leave it on them to mentor you, right? You call them and say, Hey, would you mentor me? I'll send you these five questions I have, and could I have thirty minutes? I I mentor a ton of people that way. So so does Donna. We that's how, that's that's how we do it. And it, and I recommend a young person if you 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 want to know some of this, get a mentor, um, and know what you want from that mentor, and and uh, and and go after that, um. I think the the second thing is there are really good org, orgs out here. We mentioned CCDA, we mentioned um, the Voices Project, we mentioned like those those places are, um, are have been formational for me and critical for me. Um, and I think uh, a number of leaders of color around the country are beginning to to see that work um, as as some they need to they need to plug into. So. Um, yeah, th- th- those would be those would be two that I that I recommend. Find out about them. See who's, look at who's who's you want to like connect these two. CCDA Voices Project. Go on there. Who's on their boards? Who's on there? Like the Voices School. Who are our community of scholars? Choose one and and, and email them. Mm-hmm. I, I like see if see if see if you can get on their calendars. You know, even if even if you get on there every once in a while, it's worth it.
0: That's great. And I know that there's local chapters of CCDA as well. Mm -hmm. So you can get involved in different CCDA communities in in different parts of the United States and and perhaps even the world, too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, we're in 2021 (laughs) and we have been facing um, a, a, a number of challenging issues in our society here in the United States. Uh, which we'll get into uh, in a in a second part of of this podcast. But in thinking of terms of the needs that are here in the United States right now, we're we're you know in this global pandemic, there has been joblessness is at an all time high. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question about local local efforts here in the United States versus international community development efforts. Mm-hmm. Where do you think? Christians here in the United States should be um putting their efforts into uh should we be looking at our local communities or do you think we should be continue to look at international communities or or mm. what's what's our role?
1: You know, um I spent some time working globally and I think uh, I think I think the world is um the world is shrinking in some respects, right? That economies are blended now, right? people move around the world. I mean, we're in COVID now, but people, people move around the world differently. Uh, And, and because of that, I think, I think it's a combination of those things. But one of the things I think that folks can do locally is get involved in your local context, where you live, right? Where you send your kids to school, where you shop, where you like, who's there and what's the economy and, who who has privilege in it and who doesn't? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the places that has become a real go to for me is is school principals. Mm-hmm. Local school principals probably have the best lay of the land of communities. Mm-hmm. They the fa- families are engaging those those schools every day. Principals are engaging parents. Principals are engaging the school system. They got to look out like. They're involved in uh, free lunch programs that, that are federal like they, they have a whole lot right right there. Get to know your principal. If, if you don't know where to go, go to your local school. Go to a local school in your city where there's underserved underserved populations and ask the principal what you can do or how you can get involved or, or what they need.
0: Yeah. That's super helpful. I, I, I remember last year you were involved with grocery cards and getting grocery cards into the hands of of people who needed them at, at, you know, right when COVID, the pandemic began Mm -hmm. back in March Mm -hmm. of 2020. Um, and it deeply impacted me watching you and watching the efforts of of raising funds for grocery cards so that people Mm -hmm. would have access to food. And, and I was questioning at that time, um, the role of the church, uh, both here in the United States and internationally and, and meeting the needs in our communities. And I think it was just a beautiful example, what, what you were up to and the voices project was up to in, in ministering to people. And, and you were doing that primarily through schools. Mm-hmm. And so um, a number of students in our program here at Multnomah got involved and, mm-hmm, and joined mm-hmm. those efforts. And, um, but it, but it's left me with this question of what is our role as, as Christians um, in our own communities and in the time of a, of a global pandemic. And, um wrestling with as well as as you know our responsibility as a as a global community to be to be um, addressing needs around the world as well. so I've been wrestling with those a little bit, and I remember uh reading a book several years ago. The author of the book is on missions and the the author said there's nothing magical that happens when you put on the seatbelt on that airplane mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, it, it right. all it, it he says and it, I think it was david S- sills he says. It must start in your own local community. Who you are and mm-hmm. doing ministry and living out the gospel, living out the incarnation begins where you're at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, some of our listeners might be interested in international development work, working in different global contexts, but I- I'm reminded that it really begins, we begin being shaped by what we do now. Yep. Um, and so I've appreciated your work over the years. Hey, Leroy, I I am so grateful to have had this chance to talk with you today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is part one. We will have a part two later on, um, looking at a number of other issues. But thank you for joining us. Uh, And a big shout out to Multnomah University for access to the recording studio and a platform to dialogue on the tensions and areas of convergence when it comes to thinking missionally about development, justice, and peace building.